Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. We're a little bit short staff today, but we have Seb Stott here, who's going to help me look into the future of what's coming in the world of mountain bikes. This is our fortnightly Bike Radar series. It's here on YouTube, so if you're watching, hello, don't forget to click like and subscribe, or it's also available on the likes of iTunes, Spotify, on all the usual podcast providers. Again, don't forget to subscribe so you listen to all of them. Some of them are all right, some of them are not. Um, (laughs) So we're going to talk about the future of mountain biking tech and mountain bikes in general. Seb, where do you see things moving in the next few years? Um, well, I think one of the, the interesting things that I've noticed, uh, I wrote an article on this a while ago, actually, mm-hmm. um, is about cheaper bikes. Okay. Um, everyone is always talking about how bikes are getting more expensive, and it's true, like the top end, it's kind of, it's kind of a, like a game of one-upmanship with... You know, specialized put like a ten grand bike, and then there'll be an eleven grand bike, and mm-hmm. you know, live valve and carbon and carbon everything, and all these technologies that make uh, mountain bikes more expensive. And we'll talk about those. We're going to talk about electronic gears later on. Um, but what really interests me is is the the other end, the kind of thousand pound, two thousand uh, pound mountain bikes, which I suppose is not exactly cheap, but is what you can get for a certain amount of money mm-hmm. is just going off the scale. Yeah. Like you've been testing the Caliber Boss Nut recently, yeah. which has always been one of our favorite bikes. It's pretty much got five stars across the board Every time since it's been it came out um, maybe two, three years ago. Four years ago, maybe I think. Maybe more. Uh, but it's, 
it hasn't stayed the same. It's got better and better. And the latest version, uh, we went riding last week in South Wales on some pretty steep tracks. I was on a 6,200 pound uh, carbon Mondraker. Tom was right up my ass on his 1,100 quid caliber boss nut. And... It was like pretty say, good. Did I say right on my ass? Yeah, you were, yeah I, was, I was trying to be... On right, the, right on my bottom. Right up his bottom. <laughs> not forever. Like, the... That new boss nut, you know, we're not going to just talk about the boss nut because it is only sort of only available in the UK. But just as an, example. As a, an yeah. example, it's an incredible bike for £1,100. Um, it's got up-to-date geometry because, well, geometry doesn't cost anything. That's what always gets me actually about cheap bikes back in the day was that they were based on XC race bikes and therefore yeah. for a beginner had terrible geometry. Yeah, sketchy tyres, really steep head angles, mm. long stands, which as a beginner is exactly the opposite of, of what, what you, you want. want. But um, now... You, you say that geometry costs nothing. I, I don't think that's quite true because, um, like, as, as a manufacturer, you can go to Taiwan and get, like, off-the-peg off the sure. off tubes, which off-the-peg tubes won't be very long, so you won't be able to make a geometron out of those. So, you know, th that's why we're seeing um, bikes at these price points are getting longer now because there has been demand for long enough mm -hmm. for those kind of massive manufacturers like a lot of bikes have quite similar down tubes yeah for example and that's there's that's not a coincidence you know mm -hmm. uh, that's a way of making bikes cheaper is to have uh, less customization of the frame so it it has taken a while but we are getting to the point now where you're getting very much uncompromised geometry yeah. even on cheap bikes one of the the sort of the most rad in inverted commas i guess hardtails i read recently was a and it was six hundred and fifty pound Marin hardtail, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't groundbreaking in its shape, but it was super slack. It had a tight back end. It had a fairly long reach, fairly steep seat angle, and it's like that's five six hundred quid. The base model's like five hundred quid. I thought yeah. that was brilliant. And Alex did a test of hardtails recently as well, where uh, the winner was a Saracen. I can't remember the name mm -hmm. of it, but it wasn't the best spec. It wasn't the best in almost every me measure, apart from it had the best geometry. Yeah, you know, it was super slack. Just he really enjoyed riding that bike because of because of its shape. Mm. Uh, but nowadays, it, in some examples, you can get you can have both. You know, like um, that caliber to go back to that mm. eleven hundred pounds, and it's got it's got twelve speed gears, one by twelve gears. You're not fiddling about with mm -hmm. like front and rear derailleurs. It's got rock shock suspension front and back. Which, decent, decent fork. Yeah, yeah. It's got you know wide bar, short stem. It's rooted for a dropper post. Yeah, um, it's not some horrible clunky suspension design as well. It, you know, yeah. it, it worked. The one thing, you and know, a soft compound rear tire as well. That's front and rear tire. A yeah, big part. So of the front it. tire was yeah, grippy yeah. as anything. Well, the one thing, obviously, it's it's fair to say, is that back to back with a more expensive bike. And, you know, okay, so at the, at the top of some of the trails, I was sort of just about hanging on to your, 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 your rear wheel. But by the bottom of it, I was more beaten up. You know, yeah, the, the yeah. brakes aren't as powerful. The fork's not quite as refined. So, But, but my fork costs as much as your bike. Exactly. Uh, and it was a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it is fair to say that, you know, we I did a video recently. It's, a, it's a, one of these top five videos that we do on YouTube quite often. Mm. Um, top five 2020 mountain bikes. And there's some really good bikes in there. Um, but I would say half the comments were, yeah, but no one can afford those. No one can buy those. Oh, they're too expensive. Oh, we've been taken for mugs. Which is fair enough. Which is fair. To be fair to those bikes, actually one of them was available for under £2,000. Or Bayer's Ockham, you can get the base model for two grand. Yeah, or but, Bayer makes some quite good value bikes. Great value bikes. But my point is that I've totally forgotten what my point was. 
the, you can but, get good cheap bikes as well. But yeah, but so my, so my point is, you know, you, you have all these bikes and people do say in the comments, that's really expensive. And we're not going to say, nah, they are expensive. But your cheaper, more value-oriented bikes, I would say from five, six, seven hundred pounds for a hardtail, you can get some great ones. For a grand, there are some real good full suspension bikes out there. Fifteen hundred pounds to two grand. You sorry, you know, we were we were chatting the other day about a feature that we really want to do um, down the line at some point is comparing a modern-day cheap bike with an old-school expensive bike. Now, yeah. we're saying, at what point is that £1,000 Bosnet better than the top-end bike from Trek, from Spech? Is it better than a bike five years old, better mm-hmm. than a bike ten years old? It'd be really interesting. Yeah, I, I was on holiday this summer in the Alps, and I saw a woman on a t- 2011 Lapierre Zesty, mm-hmm. and it was so bling. It had full XTR, Fox Kashima suspension, full carbon frame, carbon wheels, I was like, there's no way I would ride that mm. now because it was so short, so steep. The geometry was so kind of cross-country biased. But still and, a trail bike. Yeah, but still a trail bike. Yeah. And no dropper, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like nowadays, like, um, you know, triple tr- chain ring and all, all these things. And, and, you know, back then, even if you had, you know, infinite money, you couldn't get you know, a wide range one by drivetrain with a narrow wide chain ring so that the chain didn't fall off. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably wide bar, short stem, really sorted geometry. You couldn't get that almost no matter what your budget. Yeah. And nowadays you can get those things on, you know, for not much more than a grand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and even below the £1,000 price point, um, one bike I rode last year was the Voodoo Bizango, mm. which was... Think 650? 650 pounds. Yeah. A hardtail from Halfords, which is, mm-hmm. I think that's quite a UK centric reference, isn't it? But um, it's a car it, supermarket. Halfords. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's where you go to get like screen wash and windscreen wipers. Yeah. And they also sell pretty good value bikes. Yeah. And the, um, so I rode it last year and I was like, I'm pretty sure, you know, I haven't seen, heard of, ridden anything in this price put bracket, which I think is. Uh, better ride for the money mm-hmm. uh, but since then you've tested that bike along with some others and reckoned that nowadays there probably are some yeah, I mean, equally good or perhaps even better options yeah I mean and I, that's in the last year that's changed yeah I'd say eight, eight nine months down the line I, I managed to get four bikes in of around a similar price point and the Bizango is a great bike like it's got air suspension it's got 29 wheels with you know with Max's tires which mm-hmm. okay if it's not going to get too muddy good yeah um, it's got a one by drivetrain from sram it's 11 speed but it, yeah. it's really good one by 11 was like absolute cutting edge like a few years ago yeah. um and since then you know i'd say that there are a few of the bikes came onto the radar and the only one that significantly sort of beat it in inverted commas was from vetus mm. which is a brand that chain reaction cycles sell direct um and that, to me, proved that you don't need to spend a lot of money to get a good bike. There were the only downside of that bike. It's like seven hundred quid, seven hundred fifty quid. Was that it was a non-boost QR back end, which did limit its upgrade potential. But you had a, an air fork. You had great geometry, short stem, wide bars. The thing that killed it on that bike was the front tire. It was a Magic Mary, Shrobby Magic Mary, mm. in the Addix Soft compound. That's a tire that you would see on a bike ten times the price. Yeah, I'd have to go and, go and race an EWS on that tire. Yeah. That tire. Yeah. So I think looking into the future, 
it's easy for us to get bogged down in saying, oh, you look at this new bike, look at this eight gram bike, look at this nine gram bike, this is really newsworthy, this is the thing. And we're kind of guilty of that of because every time a new bike is released... They show us the best one. They show us the best one. If we go to a launch, they will they will provide us with the top end bike. Yeah. Even if we ask, can we test a more realistic price one? But our point is, I guess, looking into the future is do not discount those budget bikes and don't forget that they exist and there are good uh, there are incredible bikes for a lot less money so even yeah. if we keep rabbiting on about the, the top end models they're the ones yeah. are out there we're and and we're not just rabbiting on about the top end models i've called in just today i've, I've requested a, a couple of like cheaper hardtails yeah. uh caliber have a new uh 800 quid mm-hmm. hardtail out um, There's the Caliber Sentry. I've got a 500 pound hardtail bike test going on at the moment, and 2,000 pound cross country carbon hardtail test. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm being unfair on ourselves. We are t- we do try and test those yeah, um, yeah. more entry level bikes. Should we move on to the next one, which I guess is at the polar opposite? Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about electronics in mountain bikes. And this is something, obviously, it's quite a controversial thing. You know, you get a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, cycling should be pure and all this sort of stuff. It's just mechanical. Um, electronics are important. They do make a difference. They have some performance advantages, some performance disadvantages maybe as well, or mm. there's some maybe not so positive things about them. Um, I think we're going to see more electronics in bikes. Um, this year, we've sort of got hold of SRAM Access Eagle, mm-hmm. so wireless um, shifting. There's the Access Reverb, wireless drop post. Magura have a wireless drop post as well. Shimano have had DI2, XT and XTR for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, I actually was riding Access Eagle over the weekend. Uh, it was a really wet weekend, and I was like, I'll go out on Access, go through as many puddles and as much mud as I can, see if we can trip it up, you know, because it was like, oh, electronics, oh, it's not going to work in the wet. It was sodden that day, and it didn't miss a beat. Mm. Fair play to him for that because it, it stayed working. I was quite impressed. Yeah. I mean, w- when DI2 came out in 2015-ish, mm-hmm. I didn't really see the appeal of it, to be honest. I've ridden it a few times on e-bikes. And, yeah, it works really well. But, um, you know, you have you know have a battery to charge. You mm. have, it, you know, internal inside the down tube usually. Um, and you still have the cables, which are you know, just as yeah, just as know, breakable. Just as flimsy as a as a gear cable. Whereas with Axis having that wireless mm-hmm. because it's it's Bluetooth, is it? The way that the shifter yeah. communicates with the uh uh derailleur and with the, the seat post as well. So mm-hmm. you can have you know, you can have your cockpit is just the brake levers mm. and the brake hoses. Brake hoses, yeah. And then, you know, if you want to install a dropper post, just put it in, put the yeah. bolt the um remote on and, mm-hmm. and you're done like that to me has a huge advantage mm-hmm. I, i've still not ridden that ax- uh, SRAM axis but um because i'm more of a man of the people yeah um but it's do you think we're going to see conceptually i think it's really appealing do you think we're going to see more and more of these electronic integrations whether it's the drivetrain or whether it's suspension <laughs> obviously we've got fox live valve mm-hmm. they've had fox e live valve which is an e-bike specific version of Live valve, slightly yeah, different again. To tap into the e-bike battery to power the valve. And a number of other features on there as well. It's quite interesting yeah. in the end. But do you think that five years down the line, we are going to see a lot more of this stuff? It's hard to say, really, isn't it? Um, I suppose electronics are becoming cheaper mm-hmm. in 
other um, across the board, uh, especially with batteries. Batteries mm. are getting cheaper. Um, so maybe, you know, the price point will come down a bit. I think SRAMX is the whole group set is £1,900. Yeah. And if you already have a SRAM drivetrain to upgrade, so the derailleur and the shifter is a thousand pounds ish. Um, yeah, so, that, so that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, especially considering you could the, buy a boss nut. the last conversation we had, exactly. You could buy a very competent bicycle for that. Yeah. Um, but maybe the price will come down. I, I did ride live valve quite extensively mm-hmm. and I didn't, I, I got it and I thought it was very impressive. Like the technology is, is so impressive. And maybe if you're a cross country racer who cares about 10th of a second, mm. um, and who isn't too concerned about the fact that it weighs a couple hundred grams more than cables. For those people, yeah, maybe it makes a lot of sense, but I didn't see a huge advantage of no. it over like a cable remote lockout. And similarly with with um, uh, Shimano DI2 gearing, I didn't see a huge advantage over mm-hmm. a cable. I mean, cable gears and cable lockouts they just work, right? Work pretty well. There's nothing to say that the the electronic stuff doesn't work, but maybe it is more of a case that it's always going to be on those premium bikes. It's always going to be that high end aspirational thing that it maybe is never going to be. Maybe if we sort of do think about the future, maybe maybe we won't see huge amounts of electronics in the next five years. Yeah, I'm not sure we will see a huge amount of it. I think it will be a top end mm-hmm. thing, like for example, um, maybe comparable to, for example, Fox's Kashima mm-hmm. suspension. Uh, which has perhaps some advantage yeah. over uh, other sanction coatings, but it's it's such a a small advantage that it's probably only worth it for the very high end. Mm-hmm. If you actually want to spend that money. Yeah. Speaking of live valve, complete tangent. Um, and you're sort of saying about how you weren't sure if it made that much of a difference to most riders, and I, I probably agree with that. I rode the Specialized Epic recently, which has got the mechanical version of the auto lockout on the fork and the shock. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, in cross country, like for you know cross country riding and for marathon stuff, oh bloody great! Like yeah. really noticeably, not having better. to think about it. Well, yeah, automatic. And then actually, last weekend um, on the bike with access is an Orbea Oith, which is their XC race bike, and that's got a mechanical lockout. And I definitely used the lockout and the trail mode, I guess it is, on the shock and the fork less. Because, you know, you have to think about, you know, you, you got, I had a dropper on there as well, got gears, I've got, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So I, I didn't use it very much. On the Epic, didn't, obviously didn't think about it and it's just there and it, it made a, a palpable difference. Mm. I really came away impressed with that. Um, hmm. Tangent, there you Yeah, go. I mean, I didn't use Live Valve in a race environment. Yeah. I used it for trail riding where most of our, tra- our trails are like quite a steep hill, mm-hmm. quite a steep descent, not that much in between mm. for the most part. For that kind of riding, it was a bit, yeah, a bit meh, considering it's like a thousand pound upgrade. Upgrade, yeah. It's actually the unit costs aftermarket is huge, and you have to yeah. have specific bike, specific suspension, blah 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 blah. Yeah, Intr- I think the one thing I would say though for you know the introduction of electronics is, I think if we were having this conversation fifteen years ago, mm. we'd have been saying, oh bloody or oh, suspension this or disc brakes, <laughs> or oh, you don't need that. Yeah, and we like, would all be Yorkshiremen. With, we'd all be Yorkshiremen. Just technophobes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is, you know, like fair play to the likes of Fox um, and Stram for developing this technology because even if it doesn't become mass market, mm. 
it drives innovation. It drives people developing new things. And that might lead to something better for the average end consumer down the line. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing that appeals to me most is the um, the wireless uh, dropper post. Mm. And Magura had one which we didn't really like very much. <coughs> mixed, because it was mixed. Too- <laughs> Let's not be euphemistic. It wasn't a mixed review that you gave. It was a... Not the one I gave. <laughs> I, I, Reviews yeah. generally of it were mixed. Your yeah. review of it was quite... Um, Fairly negative. Negative. Um, but the concept is, is fantastic yeah. because it's so quick and easy to adjust. Uh, if you're adjusting your seat height with a cable dropper post in particular, always get the cable yeah. moving and then it doesn't quite work. But also with, a, with an electronic, you could swap. You only need one dropper post. If you've got three bikes, then yeah. you've got an XC bike, you've got trail bike and then enduro bike, which is quite bourgeois. I guess, but you might have that. No? Yeah. And if you've got a drop post I mean, for each of them, this is like <laughs> it's very bourgeois sport. If you've got a drop post for each of those, and you want a reason, you know, like a, a, a top end dropper, which is three hundred quid. Yeah, three of them. That's nine hundred quid, which is a access reverb. There, well, it's probably less than that, isn't it? I can't remember about how much it is off the quid. top of my head. We and should you, probably research that and put that in there. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link for the access reverb. But it is it's great. an expensive drop post. But if you've got multiple bikes, its cross compatibility yeah. is really. Really interesting. So yeah, I'm I'm all for the development of things like these electronics. Not because I think they're necessarily going to make your cycling experience better if you're an average person with an average amount of money to spend on a bike, but because in five years' time it's going to improve bikes. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Right. E-bikes. Then so we're not going to talk about e-bikes for very much because we know how much everyone, not everyone, a lot of people hate them. So maybe twenty percent of people hate them viscerally. So. Yeah. So we're not going to go on too much, but I think they're interesting enough in that they are splitting down the middle in two ways. You have the high capacity, and it's based around batteries, basically. So you've got um, you know lights of Spech, for example, there latest Canevo and Turbo Lever, they're getting a 712 watt-hour battery. Yeah. You've got the likes of Orbea who have um, systems where you can piggyback extra batteries and you can have up to yeah. 1,100 watt-hours. Focus, similar piggyback Same system. Thing. They've had that for longer as so, well. So we're talking about having loads of watt-hours of range. The flip side is the likes of Lapierre using the Fazua motor system, which yeah. is lightweight, only adds a couple of kilos to the bike. It can be removed and the bike can be ridden as it's a normal bike without it. Mm. Um, so you've got this sort of halfway house between an analog bike and a traditional e-bike, as I would call them. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, so so the divide is between massive power mm-hmm. and massive range versus the Fazua idea, which is shrink everything down to the minimum, to the minimum and mm. have a lightweight 250-watt-hour battery, so... A half or half of what was a normal range a year or two ago. um, Not much more than a third of the battery capacity that the specialized uh, specialized have, the top end ones. Um, But also a a lighter, more less powerful motor. So it's more like it's more of like a little push on the small of your back, as I sort of found. I think yeah, or like a a a strong tailwind as opposed to um, something that you can sit on. And with some of the systems. You uh, you can almost soft pedal, and this yeah. is going to be music to the ears of the e-bike detractors because mm. you can, if you want to, be lazy. Put, put it in the maximum assistance mode and almost soft pedal, like just keep your legs turning over, and the motor will do a lot of the work yeah. for you. Whereas the Fazer system is like, no, you still have to work; it's still a bicycle, mm-hmm. but 
it will give you some assistance. So yeah, you could keep up with someone who's much, much fitter than you. Yeah. Whereas with an e-bike, and we've proved this in a video before, like you can you can absolutely annihilate someone on the, on the right who's, hill who's way fitter than you. Yeah, yeah, if the hill is steep enough. Yeah. Like it's not even comparable to a normal bike. Mm. To sort of balance that, of course, I would always say that actually the 2018, so it was last year now, the hardest, like physically the hardest ride I did, the most tired I ever came back from a bike ride was an e-bike ride. Um, it was on a Canyon launch, went through two batteries worth of mm. riding up real steep, gnarly tracks. It was an incredible day, but I was absolutely beat by the end of it. Yeah. So, you know, like, yeah, you can be lazy on an e-bike. We understand that. And we know that people are going to say, oh, it's just for lazy people. But I can promise you, you can put a hell of a lot of effort into an e-bike. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've done a similar thing with BMC. We did two batteries in a day. Mm -hmm. uh, did something like uh, 3,000 meters of climbing or something. Yeah. Uh, and descending. And descending, yeah. And it was it was great. Like quite often on bike launches, because, you know, we're bourgeoisie cycling <laughs> media, we do a lot of uplifting. Yeah, because then you can get more ride time on the bike in in a a day or two on a press junket, mm -hmm. and I hate I hate uplifting in a van. I always get car sick. You're like in a van, it's noisy, it's smelly. So much nicer in that kind of situation where you're like, maybe you're on holiday, you want to pack in as much riding as possible into a day. Mm -hmm. So much nicer going on an e-bike launch where, and you do the just as much descending, but you enjoy the climbing. Yeah. Like not not just you enjoy it, but you enjoy it just as much as the descending. Yeah, and and you do just as much vertical meters, mm. but you're out pedaling all day, That's even if you're not pedaling quite as hard as you would on a normal bike. Yeah, I mean we're not going to sort of sing the the, the merits of, of big electric, but um, I think it's fair to say that a day's e bike riding is less lazy than a day's uplifted riding. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you, if you're going to say we're lazy, I'm sorry, but don't go on a lift. Right, we'll move on from e-bikes because we don't want to talk about them anymore. Um, I think one thing that I have sort of, we, well, we have sort of noticed over the past couple of years is, I'd say if you looked five years ago, you'd be saying, oh, you know, wheels are getting stiff. This is great. We get real stiff wheels, real accurate, nice and light, you know, loads of power transfer, X, X Y, Z. There's been a couple of wheel launches recently that I think have sort of shown a changing shift in attitudes of manufacturers. Stiffer isn't always better, right? Mm. So the first sort of wheel that noticeably came out about this was the crank with a synthesis came out about a year ago. Um, and that's got a regular fairly stiff rear wheel paired with a softer built, less spokes front wheel with mm. less spoke tension. Um, different rim as well. Different rim because less spokes, but the same cross section. No, it's not actually. It's not. The, the front rim is slightly wider, like very slightly and very slightly thinner um, uh, carbon wall as well. It's a different rim, oh, front okay. and rear. Um, my, my bad on that. I've yeah. My notes um, uh, so they wanted to have more impact resistance on the rear. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and it's a very slightly like one millimeter narrower okay. internal width as well, mm -hmm. um, which they say is to kind of give you a more plump tire on the front. So mm -hmm. you get a bit more bite. I mean, really when you're talking about one millimeter, it's kind of not here or there, but yeah. the, the bead thickness. So the sidewall of the rim, is slightly thicker mm -hmm. on the rear, so it's more dent resistant, okay. which makes a hell of a lot of sense because That's the one that gets I don't think I've ever things. dented a front rim. Yeah. Whereas I, I think I've broken about three or four 
maybe five we- rear wheels yeah. in the last in five years, years of yeah. having this job. Okay, so we've got the synthesis. We've also had Zips new wheels, mountain bike wheels. Yeah. And that works on, I mean, you went on the trip for this, the launch for this. Yeah. Is that sort of almost like a rim that sort of wobbles around yeah. the spokes? So they took it kind of one step further and made a single wall rim. So mm-hmm. most uh, rims are like a capital D shape in cross section. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're a, a box section. Whereas a Zips rims are a single wall of carbon, uh, which allows them to deform radially, so up and down mm-hmm. more, but also allows the rim itself to twist, mm-hmm. uh, uh, twist around its own circumference of the yep. rim. So um, if you have just a rim, like not built into a wheel, just a, just a rim, you can physically grab the rim and, and twist it with your hand. It's okay. that, it's that malleable. Um, malleable. Uh, so the idea is that most of the time when you puncture or dent a rim, it's because something has impacted kind of side on mm-hmm. and only impacts one bead. Yeah. And that that then gives you the maximum sort of damage potential to the rim. Mm-hmm. And so Zip have designed these wheels such that the rim can twist out of the way and absorb some of that impact and share the load more equally between the two beads. Mm-hmm. So they're more, uh, in theory, they're more puncture resistant more damage resistant and in in theory more comfortable mm-hmm. okay so i think this sort of signifies two things one you know the whole like stiffness isn't everything for for two reasons one comfort if you're if you're riding like a really harsh bike it's not comfortable yeah and if you're riding a harsh bike that's not comfortable you can't ride as fast or for as long and so having bikes and components that are engineered to be softer in yeah. the within certain margins so they're not noodly yeah, um, and in certain areas for certain sort of aspects of riding, I think this is something that we're going to see more and more of is realizing that actually you don't need everything to be so pin sharp and, and accurate. You need that little bit of give. I mean, if you ride like a, an old carbon wheel that was, you know, a super stiff carbon wheel off camber over some roots and stuff, and then you ride something which is a little bit softer, you can feel the difference in grip. If you ride a super stiff frame, I think you can hold a better line on something which has got a little bit of twist in it. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think, think that, that makes is sense. Noticeable. But I, I, I don't think there's so many other variables, especially with frames. Mm-hmm. I've never done a back-to-back test of two identical bikes with slightly different frame stiffness. Mm. And some people probably have, some mm. people in the industry, but I, I haven't. Um, with wheels, so I've just done a, a 14 wheel group test. So mm-hmm. 14 enduro wheels, so all pretty tough wheels. Uh, everything from like 350 quid up to uh, over two grand. Um, and I honestly didn't feel much difference. Mm-hmm. So I did back to backs, same bike, same tracks, back to back testing. Same tires exact, and pressures. Exact pre- same pressures, yeah, same tires. I couldn't really feel that much difference, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. It's certainly in terms of like long run comfort, just batter down the same rocky, chattery descents, which always give me hand pain, mm. which I've used to test tires and forks and handlebars and always notice the difference. But the wheels, I couldn't really notice that much difference. So Maybe that's because so, the current generation of wheels have lost that. Maybe in, they are all too stiff. Maybe the old ones were all too stiff, but the new ones aren't too stiff. Uh, possibly. I've, ba- yeah, I've, possibly. I've certainly back to back two generations of, of carbon wheels one which was said to be softer than the previous generation. And I, ha- there isn't, I have mm. noticed differences in hand pain down the same track. Yeah, so, so maybe it's more that they're all somewhere in the middle now. Maybe but what we're looking to in the future has actually already happened. When was the last... Have you ever found a wheel to be 
too flexy. On cheap 29ers, yes. Yeah. Not on like mid-range trail bikes yeah. for a f- at least a few years, no. Yeah. So the last time I really had we- noticeable wheel flex to the point that it bothered me was on a 2015, possibly 2016, uh, specialized enduro mm-hmm. comp. It was the uh, Roval, specialized own Roval 29er wheels, non-boost, they had like 24 spokes, mm. uh, 16 on one side, just eight spokes on the other side. Um, yeah, I remember that wheel set. Pre-boost. Um, and yeah, occasionally, very occasionally, when you like stuffed it into a corner, stuffed it into like a catch rut, mm-hmm. you would feel a bit of a twang and there would be a bit mm-hmm. of a kind of lateral movement that you weren't mm-hmm. weren't expected expecting. But I mean, those wheels were probably so flexy by modern standards. Yeah. And now that we've got Boost, which is, you know, whether Boost was necessary or not is is something we can debate. But nowadays, even the cheapest alloy wheels with Boost probably As stiff enough, plenty yeah. stiff enough. And also, if you make the rim wider, as we've gone from like 23 mil internal to like 30 mil internal mm-hmm. being pretty standard, because the rim is now wider... That that inherently gives the rim more mm. more lateral stiffness as well, so I think we've got to the point now where even lightweight, cheap alloy wheels are plenty stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I wonder if 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 they're all too stiff, and and a lot of World Cup riders will notice wheel flex, and there's two reasons for that. One is that they're pushing the wheels way harder than I am. Yeah. Uh, way more force going through the wheels. And the other is that they're detensioning the spokes in some cases, mm-hmm. not in all cases. Um, and I think that that is the main thing that affects how kind of forgiving a wheel is, mm-hmm. is the spoke tension. Because you can make the wheel, the rim flexier, but the, the tension in the spokes pre-stresses the wheel, the system. So if you start putting a load on the rim, you have to overcome the tension in the near in the local spokes, the nearby spokes, before the rim starts to Good. flex uh, vertically. So even if the rim was really really flexy, you would still have to overcome that tension before the wheel can start moving mm-hmm. significantly. Um, so so I think most most kind of off the shelf wheels have fairly high spoke tension. It seems to me. Um, and I think that kind of limits how much mm-hmm. compliance you can really get from a wheel, especially compared to a fork or a tire. And we're generally running bigger tires nowadays. I mean, yeah. there, aren't, there aren't many bikes that we test that have smaller than 2.3 yeah. tires. Mo- like most of the bikes I test have 2.5, yeah. and in some cases 2.6. Even like the XC yeah. race bikes I'm testing at the moment are all 2.3, I think, minimum. Yeah, yeah. So, so now that we have bigger tires, we have better suspension travel, mm-hmm. which is less friction, is more sensitive mm-hmm. over small bumps. Those things absorb so much more. more, and the wheels still have that high tension, that high kind of threshold to overcome before you start to feel the difference uh, from the wheel. The one thing I noticed with the zip wheels, one, one is that I've tested them for about six months, I've absolutely battered them, and I've never got a puncture. The other thing I noticed with the zip wheels is that when you really slam into something, like you you get a line wrong and you slam into a root or a rock, they seem to take the sting out of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think with a wheel, it's kind of like high-speed compression. 
in that it, it, it deals with the really big jarring impacts and not so much the kind of repeated kind yeah. of chatter, the rattle. Okay. Um, so, so that's where I think wheels make a difference, and, and particularly with the zip wheels, but even then only very occasionally. Okay. Um, so that's, that's what I think. All right. I think the, the last thing we'll very briefly touch on um, is, and it's sort of linked to the wheels and tyres, is the introduction of sort of the heavyweight trail stuff. So the, if we look at tyres, if you want to get like a decent tyre for like more aggressive trail riding or enduro light, you might not want to carry around like a, a Maxxis Double Down. Yeah. You might want a bit more protection than the Maxxis EXO or XO offers. Mm. So they've introduced XO Plus, which is obviously somewhere between the two. And I think, you know, the lights are specialised um, and Schwalbe, they have, you know, similar casing type tyres. And it's to sort of cater for the more aggressive trail rider. Mm. And I think products like this, and I, I, there's a, a couple of products that I, I've got vague hints about coming out next year that I can't really talk about here, that I think are going to progress that sort of heavy trail I'm going to call it genre of components. Yeah, yeah. I think what we're seeing is is people, particularly in in trail bikes, not caring quite as much about weight. Yeah, weight is no longer seen so much as an indicator of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that trail bikes don't climb well because you know better suspension design, steep seat angles, longer reach gives you a bit more room to breathe. I mm-hmm. think all those things make modern trail bikes climb way better than they used to. Yeah. But people are no longer quite as concerned with weight. And other things we're noticing are like bigger brake rotors, for example. Yeah. Like it's really common to see trail bikes with 200 mil front rotor, mm-hmm. um, maybe 200 millimeter front and rear. Yeah. Um, and we hardly ever see 160 mil. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even forks nowadays, most of them are 180 mil minimum. Yeah. Um, that, that's another example of of how, you know, things are kind of, beefing up a little bit. And I think that's reflected in the riding. Certainly this sort of the riding we see here in the UK is I think that's reflective of that. Like there is obviously I think cross country is actually growing in strength. And I wish we had a bit more time where we could talk about the growth of what I think cross country will become, but uh, we don't. Yeah. Um but I think there is sort of a real strong cross country scene. But also those riders who are trail riders are really I, I feel getting back to sort of that real mountain bikey thing of no longer just smashing out a trail center, but going and finding little tracks that fall off the trail center sides, off the fire roads. Um, and they require, you know, potentially beefier bikes, stronger components, mm. but without carrying around an enduro bike because they want to pedal them. Yeah, yeah. So I think that for me, in five years' time, I think we're going to see, continue to see incredibly capable trail bikes. And I, you know, I shout out to the Santa Cruz Tallboy in that 120 mil at the back. But you could throw that down pretty much anything, I reckon. And I think that's the, a precursor of more to come. Yeah, and possibly because in all categories, the geometry is kind of stretched out a bit, become a bit more capable and, and confidence-inspiring. Mm-hmm. And then people are finding, well, I feel really confident, but I keep on smashing tires yeah. or cooking my brakes. Yeah. So those things are getting a bit beefier. And the weight is maybe going up in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um People are sort of starting to think, well, maybe that's not such a bad thing. On that note, and just sort of draw this to a close, I guess, if you are sort of interested in sort of hearing more about things like weight or wheels and tyres, that sort of thing, um, have a dig through on your podcast provider or whatever the proper word is for a podcast provider, Spotify, iTunes, whatever, um, for our mountain bike tech talk series, because we've touched upon things like bicycle weight, tyre technology, suspension jumpers, geometry, obviously, um, 
And yeah, they're fairly interesting. Yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, if you're a nerd like us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we very quickly wrap up what you've been up to last couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, I've been researching for an article about um, the environmental impact of cycling okay. and how it compares to other modes of transport, like a complete departure from what I normally do, which is about, you know, mountain bikes and how this fork compares to another fork. Mm-hmm. Normally pretty much the same. But um, comparing bicycles to driving as like as a mode of transport and, and looking at the kind of the life cycle emissions of a bicycle, mm-hmm. how much CO2 is involved in manufacturing one, how long it lasts, how... Um, how much uh, greenhouse gas is involved in producing the food you need to cycle. Uh, it's quite interesting. And it turns out that bicycles are pretty much the greenest mode of transport mm-hmm. around, but the the impact is not zero. Yeah. Uh, so that's quite interesting. So okay. uh, hopefully you'll be able to read that cool. soonish. Testing anything fun? Um, I've got the Mondraker Super Foxy, yeah. which is quite fun, 6,200 pounds. Man of people. But, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've got some, oh, some cheaper tires. bikes coming in to test. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, very wet in the UK at the moment, so I've got six winter's tyres to test uh, for a group test. And then I'll be testing some of the cheaper bikes. Uh, possibly we'll be getting a £1,200 EMTB into test. Wicked. So we'll see how that goes. See how that goes. That'd be interesting. Cool. What about you, Tom? Um, I um, almost finished a £500 hardtail test that I mentioned earlier. We're also then going to crack, crack on... Quickly, crack on quick, crack on quickly, quack on, <laughs> with my £2,000 cross-country hardtails test. And then as soon as that's out of the way, it's going to be straight into Trail Black of the Year, which will be out on your screens uh, in March, April next year. Um, mm. But that's 10 bikes in Trail Black of the Year this year, um, because Rob Weaver, um, our colleague, is doing Enduro Bike of the Year as well. So wow. lots to test over the next few months. A lot of bikes to test, yeah. A lot of bikes, but all fairly interesting. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to reading it. Um, well, that's it for this fortnight. I um, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments, and we'd love it if you like and subscribe as well. That really helps us. And uh, stay tuned for another episode. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.